The old adage from Bill Clinton's campaign, it's the economy, stupid, has never been more appropriate. Well, if you look at what Mr. Trump is saying, he's saying those words. It's the economy, stupid. This week, the race for the White House. And it's the economy, stupid. We look at the policies that could shape the next four years in the United States. Hello, dear listeners, and welcome to Is the Economy Stupid? I'm Damien, and today we are, as always, joined by my favorite presenter, Gianluca. Ciao, ragazzi. Hi, guys. Ciao, Gianluca. Come stai? Um, and the person who's, who was missing last episode, uh, bringing the girl power, is Yushan. Hi, everyone. I'm Yushan. How are you doing, Yushan? Good in the current time. Oh, okay. Yeah, well... Nothing much to do there, huh? Uh, got to listen to the Spotify our program. <laughs> yeah, that's right, that's right. Um, last time, as I mentioned, you were not there, but uh, Danuk and I had a great talk with Florian Wettstein uh, about business and human rights. If you guys haven't listened to that one yet, do so now. It's really worth it. He was very insightful and gave us a little bit of description of the of the field of studies he's working in and what are the fights that he, he's fighting every day to make our world a little bit better. Also, don't forget to subscribe to us on Facebook, on Instagram, at uh, Rethinking Economics Bocconi on Instagram, and on Facebook as well, as well as Rethinking Economics Italia on Facebook. So, as you guys know, every second episode, so every once a month, for us is a I Want to Know episode. And last time, Gianluca talked to us about GDP, and um, it was very insightful, and he kind of explained to us why GDP is not a great measure nowadays, because notably, it implies that if you follow GDP, you just always have to grow in terms of economic performance, but that comes at the dispense of some other factors, and for example, the environment, for example, climate change. So is there a field that discusses climate change, but within economics? And the answer is yes, and it's called environmental economics. So this episode is I want to know about environmental economics. That's the time for the jingle. Subjects you should have been taught in school. <laughs> That's good. That's a good topic. Uh, thank you. Yeah, I know. I thought so too. And so the first thing I did was, like last time when, we discussed, when I discussed Tulipmania, I went on Investopedia and I hit up environmental economics. And this is the description that Investopedia gives me about environmental economics. It's an area of economics that studies the financial impact of environmental policies. Environmental economists perform studies to determine the theoretical or empirical effects of environmental policy on the economy. So first thing that I wondered when I saw that is, what the hell does that mean? So let me give you a little description. It says that environmental economics is analyzing uh, environmental policies on an economic standpoint. For, so first, empirically, that just means that you look at some policies related to the environment, for example, creating um, a solar panel. And what does that mean purely in terms of costs? Like how much does that cost? And what are going to be the effect on the economy in terms of market competition and traditional economic stuff? It's very mathematic-based. And a lot of times it's going to be If you implement something about the environment, it's going to cost a lot. But at the same time, if you 
have a lot of costs. It's going to be a low cost and profitable. So good for the economy. It's going to be bad for the environment. So that's the empirical part. And then theoretical part is really developing models on how the environment and economics maybe are going to interact with each other. And a lot of uh, ideas are developing uh, ideas how we could mix the two together and have an economy that is going to allow to continue to grow in, in a sense, but at the same time to support the environment. Now, for example, one of the basic ideas of environmental economics is the tragedy of the commons. Gianluca, Yushan, do you guys know what the tragedy of the commons is? No idea about that, Damien. Actually, I really don't know. Oh, really? Well, I expected you guys to, uh, to, to tell me. Oh, that's, that's very astonishing. But uh, for a quick uh, for a quick reminder for if for you guys for the both of you but also for anyone who is listening, the tragedy of the commons is a theory in um, in economics that's actually about two hundred years old, and it it just says that a common goods, so for example, so mainly nature, let's say for example a river, don't have a price. The water in a river doesn't have a price. But that's not good because that means that a private individual can take it against the against the common interest. For example, if Nestle, uh, that's a very uh, random example, not at all by, based on real facts. But if Nestle goes to a river and takes out the water, then they can make profit out of water that's free. But that's going to be at the dispense of other people who are usually using the water from that river. And it's been uh, coming also to a preeminence because in 2009, the Nobel Prize in economics was Elinor Ostrom, which is um, an economist who developed a model to demonstrate how the tragedy of the commons is actually a real thing. Other aspects of environmental economics, for example, are market failures and uh, negative externalities. So you guys probably know about this. For example, Joseph Stiglitz also won a Nobel Prize for such ideas. But it was developed by Heller and Start in 1976 using the influence of Kenneth Arrow. And they gave the description of the market failures and negative externalities as such. They said it's a situation in which a private economy lacks sufficient incentives to create a potential market and some good of the non-existence of this market results in losses of Pareto efficiency. Once again, a very convoluted definition if you never studied economics, you probably have no idea what that means. But it just means that um, the economy did not succeed in creating a situation where no intervention by a government or any external uh, entity is going to lead everyone better off. So that means, again, taking the example of the river, if no one comes and says, you cannot touch the river if you don't have a permit, then probably there's going to be Nestle or Unilever or who knows who, who's going to come, take that water away and sell it to you instead of leaving us for free like it was always before. So those are the tragedy of commons and market failures with negative externalities are two main ideas of environmental economics. And you see that it's very economics based. So it's it's uh, still very related to the field that uh, rethinking economics is uh, linked to. And so what are other examples of real things that environmental economics are giving us? So this can be, for example, a carbon tax. That's very environmental economics policy because it says if you want to produce for profit, you need to pay for every emission that you create. And that's supposed to contain profit and thus create a situation where people can still follow profit, but maybe don't damage the environment too much. And the other idea that's often defined 
and advanced by environmental economics is cap and trade. So cap and trade is countries or companies have a certain ratio of carbon they can emit, but if they want to, they can buy permits from other countries or other companies which are doing better. And so altogether, it's supposed to contain the carbon that is emitted on the world. So if you're listening here, you might be, hmm, you might be thinking, hmm, this is, this is nice. This is a nice little idea. But for example, a cap and trade, isn't that going to just lead the rich people to um, pollute a lot or who is going to control this, etc.? So what I'm going to use uh, as a reference is uh, the Foundation of Environmental Economics, which is a book uh, written by Buchholz and Rüppelte, and which gives us all the main definition of, of environmental economics. And it starts by saying that, or well, it doesn't start, but in terms of solutions to climate change, let's put it that way, um, it gives us uh, the idea that Ideally, this allocation, for example, in carbon tax or cap and trade system, uh, has no negative secondary effect. So it would work perfectly, everyone would comply to it, and we'd just be in an ideal state. And environmental economics, as I said, is an economic field, so it's going to develop a lot of models. And a lot of, um, I mean, the two of you guys know, but probably a few of our listeners know too, there'll be a lot of offer and demand curves and utility functions and some very nice... So very graphs. technical in a sense. Very technical and uh, looking very pretty, let's say, let's put it that way. But uh, what the offer has also found is that the theory about uh, no negative secondary effect, it, it doesn't hold true in, the, in real world conditions. So all those graphs and those technical aspects... They're nice, but they're actually not true. Uh, <laughs> and um, then they go on to say, so how would we want to like combat climate change, for example, which is the main environmental problem nowadays, right? So they gave us three uh, main points. The first is that the incentives should be to develop adequate technologies for to combat climate change. But the, the system that we have nowadays, the technologies and the incentives to develop them, they are too small. So that means a private firm which wants to do profit is not going to develop such a technology. So that's a first problem with environmental uh, economics, that all their model, they don't count this in, right? Then a second one is, and here they go back on behavioral economics, which has been kind of a field um, a la mode uh, on, in fashion in the last few years because, um, well, it shows that maybe the rational man in economics is not really true. And so, as I said, behavioral economics have shown that actually all this rational thinking that environmental economics require to combat emission are not actually true. So that means that people do not behave to combat emission like environmental ex economics expects them to do. And that has been proven in a paper by Crozen and Treich from 2014. And the third point is the idea that emissions should be accompanied by a green industrial policy, which has not been developed yet. And that's a point from Danny Roderick, also in 2014. And he's actually a rather famous economist in alternative economics because he often points out those um, alternative ideas. And so I went to look at what is green industrial policy. And Danny Roderick defines it he like He was this. a scholar in Harvard, if I'm not wrong. It's true. Pretty famous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a big, he's a, he's a big shot. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, he developed green growth as green growth is a trajectory of economic development, which is 
sustainable in its use of non-renewable energies and fully internalizes environmental costs. So it's a system which is supposed to economically, again, as environmental economics define, perfectly match development in terms of growth, but also in terms of environment and climate change. So I wondered then, back to my first question of the day, if you guys remember, it was like the point of GDP that Gianluca made uh, two episodes ago. Is GDP now considered here? Is GDP still the measure or should like GDP be given up because we saw that it promotes profit that are unlinkable uh, with uh, good climate change uh, policy. So what do you guys think? Do you think Roderick is still considering GDP as a measure of growth? Or do you think he is past that point and maybe is thinking of another measure in his green growth model? No, he's not. He's a smart one. He came up okay. with something, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. That's what I wanted to hear. Um But the thing is, no, he does, actually. Roderick, in another article from 2014, still considers growth as equivalent with GDP and says that future growth should aim to include inequality in GDP measures, but he doesn't talk about the, uh, the climate at all. So for him, GDP is still a base of economic thinking, and that's kind of a problem, right? So I further wondered... How is it with environmental economics overall? Because Roderick, of course, a general economist, not an environmental economist per se. So I went back to the book that I described before by Buchholz and Rubele, and they describe as a main goal of economics to seek for economic growth, implying GDP. So once again, environmental economics is not over these traditional economics measures. But Gianluca, if you remember, you cited in your in your podcast episode, you cited an article was by the WEF, the World Economic Fund, literally entitled How GDP is Destroying the Planet. So we should maybe go past it, right? Yes, I, I remember it. <laughs> yeah. So again, I wondered again, but isn't there an, a field in economics that describes these ideas that we are discussing right now that are past environmental economics? So actually, this episode is not a, I want to know about environmental economics. It's a, an I want to know about green economics. Little time for a second jingle. <laughs> yeah, it's time for that. Green economics. Green economics. All right. So let me uh, give you green economics and, and its main ideas. Green economics is a, a field, but also a, a way of political thinking, which as I wanted it to be, is a field which starts by the idea that growth is a major problem, mainly due to climate change and other environmental disasters that can be linked to it. So that's already pretty matching what we were seeking for. And then green economics proposes a move away from economic growth towards what is called a steady state economy. In a steady state economy, the planetary frontier is respected and It is the only type of economy that can be sustainable in the long term. So we're going to come back to, to it again. But what you might be kind of guessing of what I'm telling you is this is a pretty far move away from what we know right now. It's not, a, not only a move away from our current economic thinking, but it's a move away from, in general, neoliberalism and even capitalism. Because the idea is we're supposed to make a big change right now to stop climate change. Okay, but let me go back to green economics for a second. Green economics discusses the idea that businesses will have to inherently limit their activities and be limited to a certain optimum size if we want to combat climate change. 
So if that rem reminds you of anything, it might be to a certain degree, at least from the activities part, what we discussed last week with Florian Wettstein, that right now businesses are allowed to do stuff that we don't really like general and morally and as consumers are trying to fight, but um, we don't really punish them either. So this green economics idea is already implementing some of the ideas we've already discussed before in one of in this podcast. And then further, we can read that one policy which is most significant in the green society is the idea of a basic income paid to all citizens as of right. Does that remind you anything? Some guy called Guy. <laughs> yeah, some guy called Guy. Exactly, exactly. So we, we see that quite a few of the ideas we've discussed so far on, on the podcast are found within green economics. And what I've been citing you right now is from a book from Mary Scott Cato, which notably served in the European Parliament between 2014 and 2020, and is a, as you might imagine, green economist. Maybe do you guys want to try to know why she stopped serving in the European Parliament? Because it was, uh, she was British, uh, if I'm yeah, not... Because was... <laughs> yeah, because she was British, that's right. So she didn't have a choice. She, she, did, she just uh, lost her job. I just heard something about uh, exiting the Union. Uh, could be that. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And so she wrote the book in 2009 called Green Economics, an Introduction to Theory, Policy and Practice. And that's where I'm getting these facts from. And now I want to also bring to you three main points that the book makes, generally about green economics and this steady state of, uh, of the economy that green economics tries to push. So first of all, green economics is inherently concerned with social justice. So what it explains in this book is that mainstream economics, like we know them, are neoclassical, that they're also called, consider welfare as an add-on. It's a bonus, but it's not a It's not sought by the economy. But for a green economist, equality and justice are at the heart of what we do and take precedence over considerations such as efficiency. So the goal is to serve economy that's worldwide and that's going to be helping everyone uh, rather than helping profit as a main goal. With, of course, what you might imagine, a second point, green economists has emerged as from environmental campaigners and green uh, economists, but politicians as well, to develop a sustainable economy. And the last point, which is kind of important here, is that green economics is not an academic discipline yet at any major university. So it's a very upcoming field, contrarily to, for example, environmental economics, which, I mean, it's still upcoming, but it already has seats, for example, in Italy at different universities. But we see here that green economics is maybe more matching the framework we've also been pushing in this podcast. It's more... Uh, also a goal, a political goal, than just the idea of calculating what are the effects of putting up some solar panels. A final point maybe is that green economics seeks to move the target of our economy away from economic growth and towards flourishing. So as I mentioned, it's a different economic paradigm to neoliberalism like we know it now, but even an alternative to capitalism. And according to Cato, it's the first such alternative that which is not communist. Now, that last point I don't know if that's true, but it tells you how, how far green economics goes in developing it, it, its ideas. So I was wondering, what do you guys think? Do you guys maybe would, would like be interested in green economics and maybe develop such a steady state ec uh, economy like Cato proposes? So in a sense, uh, a green economy is more uh, radical than an environmental economy. Yeah, exactly. Definitely. So we can say 
the green economics is a discipline per se while environmental economics still is based on the same neoclassical assumption of classic economy is that right yeah you can say it that way so again environmental economics is already maybe a move away from neoclassical economics because it's considering these factors that I've said at the beginning, the, the tragedy of the commons and externalities, which aren't actually nowadays considered in your everyday economics, right? So it's already kind of a, of a move away from the traditional move. But green economics is, is not just a move away, it's a jump. It's, it's, uh, it's saying, no, you like, it's interesting to say that climate change is expensive to adequate to, but we actually want to do something. We don't just want to tell people, well, it's expensive to to bring out solar panel, and right now it's almost impossible, right? Green economics is actually also, in a political sense, trying to push for a change rather than just describing how a change could happen. It will be interesting knowing what one economist think about the others, the green versus the environmental ones. Well, that's interesting that you mention it because we might come back to to it on this very podcast. But what often happens too is that you get hired if you follow the traditional path, right? We had it, the, this discussion, for example, with Sergio Rossi when we talked about minimum wage, which said that following the traditional economic is a way to get integrated in university, is a way to get funding, is a way to to get a job, right? So you might be a green economic economist in your heart, but you have to be an environmental economics if you want to have some money. So that may, might be a part of it too, rather than just clear different opinions. In Italy, we say tengo familia. Tengo familia, sì. <laughs> <laughs> I need to gain something to support my child in their life. <laughs> and so... <laughs> that's right, that's right. All right, glad to have been able to talk to you guys today about the subject. And I hope our listeners have enjoyed that little presentation too. If you have any comments or any questions to us, you can, of course, contact us on the social media I mentioned at the beginning. And we actually, should we create a contact that could be more direct to your listeners? Do you want to contact us immediately instead of just passing through our Instagram or Facebook? So let us know on these channels if there would be a way you would like. Is it just an email? We can set up an email account, for example, even though that might be the the least modern of all uh, communication ways through, uh, through the internet. Or do you want us to maybe set up a Twitter um, just because that's public, although, again, that might not be very European uh, <laughs> in its implication. Or do you have any other ideas? Let, please let us know. And Gianluca, I'll let you say the final words like always. Okay, this is it. So, this is Gianluca from uh, Rethinking Economics Italy. This is Is the Economy Stupid? I guess I'll see you at the next one. Bye.